0: Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest Anne Casey is an Irish Australian writer whose poems have been published in so many different places. The Irish Times, The Murmur Journal, Incubator, Other Terrain, Backstory, Into the Void magazine. I could go on and on but um, there's loads of publications. Um, Her poem In uh, memoriam to the Draper was the fifth most read item across all categories in the Irish Times on the day of publication, and I will ask you about that because I know I have to and everybody does, Um, and resulted in a furor of social media commentary. She was shortlisted in, I'm going to botch this thing, Kurt. New writing, poet, Kurt, New Writing Poetry Prize in, in 2017, and the Bangor Poetry Competition 2016. She's worked as a business journalist, magazine editor, corporate and government communications director, author and editor, and Anne holds a law degree in qualifications and communications. But she's here today to talk about her debut collection of poetry, Where the Lost Things Go. Anne, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Heidi, hi. Hi.
0: Um, so before we start chatting, I, I have to ask you to open the, the show with the poem that started it all, the fifth most read item in the Irish Times. Um, and it's so extraordinary when poetry does this. So we will talk about it afterwards, but just to situate everyone, could I get you to start with In uh, Memoriam to the Draper? Of course,
1: thank you so much. In Memoriam to the Draper. The town is dead. Nothing but the wind howling down Main Street and a calf bawling outside the Fiddler's. My mother's words, not mine, in a letter kept in a drawer these long years. She had a way with words, my mother. That's why they came, the faithful of her following, leaning into her over the counter for an encouraging word the promise of a novena. Long before we had local radio, our town had my mother, harbinger of the death notices and the funeral arrangements, (laughs) bestower of colloquial wisdom, bearer of news on all things, great and small, who was home and who hadn't come who had got the civil service job, and by what bit of pull. The councillor's niece, smug in her new navy suit, oblivious to the circulating countersuit. Would you ever think of coming home? Her words would catch me, unawares, lips poised at the edge of a steaming mug, igniting a spitfire of resentment each time. Then draping me for days, I'd wear it like a horsehair shirt all the way back, until the sunshine and the hustle had worn it threadbare, this extra bit of baggage in every emigrant's case, their mother's broken heart. I never thought to ask her, would you want me to? so i could look out at the rain circumnavigating the empty street and shiver at the wind whipping in under the door i don't miss that question now on my annual pilgrimage home my father never asks it like me i know he feels it hanging in the air alongside her absence i miss my mother and her way with words.
0: So I was going to ask you why you think the poem had such a big impact on people, but I'm actually crying. So <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I'm crying too. I can I've never got through that poem without crying.
0: It's terrible. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of know the answer already. <laughs>
1: uh, well, look, I can only tell you what people told me, you know, when they, um, people were tracking me down via, you know, Google and my website and Twitter and all kinds of places to send me messages saying, I, that, that's me, that, that poem is me. And, um, I I never cried after my mum died until I read your poem. And, you know, I've been gone from Ireland for 60 years and, um, all the, every time I rang home, they would ask me, would you ever think of coming home? You know, so I think it, it struck a chord with the diaspora very much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you know, there's what f- just over four million people in Ireland, but there's apparently 60 million Irish around the world. So, you know, our biggest export has been people for a very long time. Um, and, and so it resonated with a lot of those people. Um, I think think what you you say is
0: correct. You know, in immigrants, it's the extra bit of baggage. It's something we carry. I mean, even if your mother is still alive, but you know, when, when she's not, it's, it's incredible that sense of guilt that, that, you know, is is carried around and you certainly hit a chord and maybe one that isn't often hit.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, sorry, I just broke up slightly there, so I didn't hear that yeah. last. Yeah.
0: I just said it. You, you hit a chord, but it's one that isn't often stated. We, we uh, kind of brush that right. under the cupboard, don't we? We we just don't we let the question
1: disappear. You know, yeah, do you know what I think is? I think that we who chose to emigrate, like in my case, I didn't have to emigrate. Mm. Um, there was something in me. I, I, you know, I was seeking adventure or whatever. I was in my twenties, and um, you know, I, I came to Australia not intending to stay, and um, went back to my old job as a magazine editor in Ireland after having been away for two years um, between Australia and various other places. And I, I couldn't settle, and I realized Australia was really calling me back, um, and. So it was my choice to come back, and I was very lucky to have that choice. But I think the people who make that choice then have that guilt around having chosen to leave, Um, and and also even the people who maybe were pressed into leaving because of harder economic times, they at some point had the choice to go back very often. And so I think – we don't complain about the problems um, or the, you know, the tug of the heart. We, we don't, in some ways, feel we have a right to say how much we miss and grieve for the place we've left because we made that choice to leave. Yes. yes.
0: As you said, you know. Know. <laughs> put it, it's the horsehair shirt that we feel we have to wear.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, – that's what I, uh, actually after, so that poem kicked off this book and, and the book became about all the things we lose, so people, places, credos, um, but as, as an immigrant having, you know, one foot in each place, um, you also lose where you left, but you're never fully from where you land. Um, so you're always somewhere in between, and, and that's what the book was about. It was trying to capture all these lost things, but also this sense that in a way we're sort of lost ourselves, the, the diaspora. Um, yeah, so, and I think, it, it, so following that, when the book came out, I wrote an article in the Irish Times, uh, which was published in the Irish Times, Um Called I barely recognise my hometown, and it gathered up all of that thought about going back, and all these things that are no longer there. So you sort of feel like a stranger in the place you come from. And actually, the response to that article was just incredible, and there were a couple of poems from the book in it. And again, I had this there was this huge surge of of people responding. Um, I think in the first. it it was I think the most read story in the whole paper on the day of publication and and then you know it went on and on and it ended up being one of the top stories for the year Um, and it was the same thing people were saying you've written my story Um, and it was also talking about um, so since I've come to Australia my mum passed away and um, she was very ill so I had to you know, well, I felt I needed to. I had two kids under two and a half. One of them was six months old and mum was, we knew, terminally ill, so raced home, Um, and we spent six months with her, which was very difficult because my husband had to come back to Australia for work. Um, So he sort of missed, you know, six months of the kids at a very young age. Um, But I'll never regret that because, you know, we had six months with mum that was very precious and we had to make up for all the years we would lose. Um, And, you know, in writing about that and, you know, those sorts of thoughts are in this book as well. I think that really resonated with people who have families so far away. It wasn't just Irish people, it was, you know, people from other countries, particularly people who had come to Australia, because I think you are really so far away if you – Come from somewhere else in the world when you settle in Australia. It really is a long way to get back if something happens to your loved ones
0: Yes, sure. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. So, um, a number of the poems in the book are part of a series. Um, in mem- in memoriam is the longest, and I feel like the whole, yes. whole notion of memoriam, which of course is a tribute to what is no more, the dead. Um, also becomes yes. a way, as you mentioned, of fixing the past, of kind of finding what's lost as well.
1: Yeah, and um, I guess in memoriam to me. In Ireland, um, you have, you know, when someone passes away, their loved ones create a card called an in-memoriam card. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got a photo of them and, you know, a prayer or whatever and and, and the highlight of who they were. Um, so I think for me, in-memoriam is a way of capturing that little piece that you've lost and and saying, well, this is my my memory, my treasured memory of that. This is the – I was trying to hold sacred, you know, a piece of memory. And uh, actually it's funny because another poem um, which you mentioned to me recently, um, I was rereading it um, because you had mentioned it. And I cried again. It was a memory with my father on the boat. The boat. You know, my dad um, had a trawler off the west coast of Ireland. And that was just, you know, a really big piece of my childhood was going out on this big boat and um, the fishing and stuff. Um, but it, I realized in rereading it, I haven't looked at it for quite a long time, um, how how grateful I am to have captured that in that poem because it vividly brings me back to what it was like on the boat. Mm. And also it
0: it makes it universal as well so it becomes then something that is yours but is also bigger too. It's not just a snapshot, it's a you know it's a, a moment that becomes kind of less painful because universal.
1: Yeah well yeah I guess when I was writing the In Memoriam series too I was very mindful of the fact that these things are slipping away. Um, These ways of life are really disappearing. Um, And for me, it was a way of capturing that place that's fading because that's how I remember that place in the west of Ireland that I come from. And, and, and the ways people were with each other and the connections people had that were really very beautiful and special. Um, and, you know, the circumstances as well are in there. Like um, one of the poems in that Memoriam series uh, talks about a fair day. Um, so a fair day was, you know, when um, they had a cattle mart in the town So the whole town got overtaken by cattle and farmers coming from the back hills. And and they'd auction off all the cattle in the middle of the street. And, you know, the whole street was mud and mess for for that one big day. But for me, as a very young child, this was just like a circus. It was so exciting and colourful. And uh, that particular poem in the book is about getting lost on a fair day. Um, but you know, it's about capturing those because those fair days are gone now. They do not happen in, certainly in my small town in the West of Ireland, but I'm not sure that they would happen at all in in any town in Ireland anymore. So those ways are slipping away. And there's another poem, credos, which goes through all the superstitions, um, Mm. that we had growing up, you know, um. So uh, I was trying to flick through and find it, but I haven't. Um, one of them is, um, so the Child of Prague is the Sacred Heart statue, and pretty much every house would have some kind of version of the Child of Prague. Um, and there was a superstition that you would put that outside um, on a day. De- you know, if, you, if the day, de- if there was a de- so, well, to backtrack, It rains in Ireland pretty much all the time. Um, So if there was an important day coming up, like a wedding day or your first Holy Communion, the tradition was they would put the child of Prague statue out at night and God wouldn't let it rain on his own child. So you'd have a dry day for your special day. That was the the superstition. So it's I so remember that being done, you know. Um, but these things are just totally slipping away. I mean, who would do that now?
0: Yes, I did. <laughs> you don't want to lose it away because it's it's charming. It's it's actually thirty six. Do you? I know I didn't tell you to. Uh, oh yeah.
1: That, but do you um, want to read it? Oh, that, I don't mind. I mean, it's a very long poem, so you may not want. But uh it was oh, no, just, go ahead, that's uh, fine.
0: I think it'd be lovely to, to hear it. Let's let's have it. Credos.
1: Do you want the whole thing or will I just read
0: read the whole thing.
1: Okay. <laughs> all right. Credos a penny in a new purse that it may never be empty. The child of Prague left out all night to bring a dry day for the first holy communion. Never pick a flower from a fairy fort, it will bring down a curse. Never speak ill of the dead, no matter how wicked they were, God rest their immortal soul. A spit on the hand to seal the deal, a prayer to Saint Anthony to find something lost, to Saint Jude in the case of lost hope, Novenas on your knees if there's no hope at all. Because miracles can happen, Just look at Auntie Marie's neighbour's first cousin. Never open an umbrella in the house. It'll stunt your growth. Eat your crusts. They'll make your hair curl. Or straight if it's curly. Don't make that face. If the wind turns, you'll be stuck with it. Red and green should never be seen. Never wear shiny shoes with a skirt. Only eat pork if there's an aura in the month. Don't change clout till May is out. Waste not, want not. Never gift a knife to a friend, it will cut your ties. If a coal falls from the fire, a stranger is coming. Don't believe everything you hear, seeing is believing. The rules we lived by, before we had internet or mobile phones or colour TV, Before we knew, for better or worse, that no matter how complicated it might have seemed, life would never be that simple ever again. Because the wind did turn, leaving us to face the ugliness. And the rain came down, the wicked were blessed, hope was lost, our growth stunted, our hair curled and uncurled as colours clashed and on reflection. A strange underbelly was revealed. We consumed in excess when we knew it was wrong, changing everything, piling wasteful want onto wanton waste. Knives out, ties cut, sparks flew, strangers fell as we followed the herd, saw too much, believed too well. So I'm turning back to times past when all was lost. And my novena is this. Today, just for today, let everyone in the whole wide world wake with eyes colored only by love, with hands and minds able only to be kind, because miracles can happen still. <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. Part. I love how it turns. Out. Into a, I guess you know from a mocking gentle mocking to something quite profound.
1: Well, those I, I actually started it because it was trying to capture that kind of innocence and and realizing well that's gone. It's really slipped away. We do know too much now. We see too much, um, but there's no turning back either but it's nice to sort of go back to some of those old ways and say, well, we cared about each other. There was a real sense of community, and maybe we just need to return to some of those things, you know? Oh. Hello?
0: Sorry. I think this is kind of beginning in a way of... Um, or, or at least there's hints in that of poetry as activism as well. I mean, the whole way in which people mm. have been moved by your work uh, have always have in the past, and I think the tide is turning, but in the past at least, certainly when I was growing up, poetry was always seen as a kind of marginal art. Nobody read it anyway, so you could uh, say and do anything. Poets yeah. weren't, you know, not in this country and certainly yeah. you know, not in the Western world.
1: That's so funny because for me, like poets were really important and, and relevant. It's a, From the moment I was born, my dad has been spouting lines of poetry to me. It was inescapable. Um, and, you know, in Ireland, in school and, you know, it was embedded in the culture and for me, I don't know if it was the same for everyone, but for me, it was exciting. I just loved poetry. I I loved the fact that within the Irish culture, poetry and song had been used as a way of rebelling. Um, you know, because Ireland has a long and bloody history, um, you know, of being overtaken um, by British rule and... Um, our language was taken away, our names were changed to English names. So my, my name is actually on Yannick Um but because my forebearers' names were translated into English, my name is in English Anne Casey. Um, but everyone in Ireland has two names on their birth cert, so you have your, your name in English and your name in, in the Irish language. Um, and maybe because of where I came from in the west of Ireland, um, that culture was really, really strong and very, very important. Um, and And so the when the language was taken away, people rebelled. they kept the language going, but underground. But through poetry and song, they encoded messages of hope for people, and they encoded, you know, sort of messages to try and bring about. Um, a, a revolution in a way, um, and even um, messages were passed on about, you know, rebellions in other areas, but all encoded in, in poetry. And I just love the fact that poetry is that. It's a, It's one thing on the surface, but if you look beneath, there's something completely different going on. Um, so, you know, through that book, that there's that ripple underneath the surface in a lot of the poems I wrote. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. in, in most of my poetry there is. Um, one, one of the, um, I suppose, more obvious examples in the book is um, Metaphoric Rise, which was the um, suite of poems right. I wrote um, yeah. for Mr. Trump on his um, inauguration day. So, that was that was ran in the Irish Times on his inauguration day, um, but that's completely written in in metaphors. Um, so, I guess because of where I come from, poetry is always interlaced with politics or a desire to create a change in some way, um, even if it's just a change of mind for someone even if it's just a change of mind for a moment while you're present with the poem. Um, but a, a lot of my poems have a political undertone as well. Mm.
0: Mm. Yes, and yeah. the metaphorical, yeah. that probably, yeah. is <laughs> but um, there are all sorts of beautiful, subtle examples through the book. Um, One of them, and this is the one that uh, my son was moved by, uh, Smorgasbord, which is page 51. Could I ask you to maybe just read that one? We probably only have time for one more.
1: Sure, of course. Thank you. Um... Smorgasbord. Cannibals eating away at themselves, feeding off each other. They'll consume you too if you let them. Chew you up and spit you out, if they don't swallow you whole. Thieves in the night, daylight robbers. It's not the cat that's got your tongue, it's indignation. Wonder widens your eyes, despair shuts them. And while they're closed, love plucks them right out of your head. Abhorrence freezes your heart. Empathy melts it, but callousness hardens it until anguish comes and smashes it into a thousand sharp shards. Fear picks one piece and with skillful precision surgically excises your dripping spleen to be served rare with a fine chianti. While panic is transplanting a liver in place, a lily in place of your liver, envy eats the remains of your shattered heart, so you'll no longer feel when horror cuts the legs out from under you. Not to worry, apathy will tidy up when they're finished. <laughs>
0: this
1: is a particular problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, it's 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 very tongue in cheek <laughs> yeah
0: the you in the poem um who did you have in mind? is it just the reader is it um society
1: I think it's all of us, yeah, for sure I, you know, um I think we're all eaten up by emotions a lot, but um in the end of the day, you know we're affected by things. All the time. And I think it becomes almost relentless. So you end up closing your eyes and turning away. Um, And, you know, impacts of mass media and stuff like that make it really hard for you to stay present with the horrors that are going on around us. Um, So I think you do end up with this sort of apathy creeps in or a a need to, to close your eyes and turn away, you know. Yes. So, uh, but, but
0: right through the book, um, even when it's at its most dark, there's always this kind of transcendence oh. that happens. And I think that's what they – all the poems. And maybe that's the notion of finding the lost things, you know, or finding the, the place, this sense of recovering perhaps. Yeah. Joy yes. and, and, you know, and beauty and what we've lost.
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, my intention was to say these beautiful things have been lost, but as they stay in our memories and they are part of who we are. But also, it was about hope because I, you know, I ha I do, I am <laughs> actually quite an optimistic person. I tend to always look to the light side. Um, so, you know, even in the book, I, I was trying to say. There's so much beauty around us, you know, um, and and I come from the sea, so the west coast of Ireland is just stunningly beautiful. I'm very lucky that I get to go back there every year. And, um, in fact, you know, every day in in Sydney I go bushwalking with my dog. It's the one thing I commit to pretty much every day. And every day I experience that same sense of, Yes, it is transcendence. You know, the beauty around us is startling, but we tend to have our eyes cast downwards so much. And I think it's really important to take that space, if you can, each day to just breathe and look up and say, wow, it's not so bad, you know? For sure. I know I said,
0: just that last poem but I really want one more <laughs> so um, oh. and on that very theme and it's exactly what you've just been talking about could you just read the exquisite last poem in the book which is come and find me
1: well, thank you so much of course I will this is um, where I come from in the west of Ireland this is actually what you look at from my house <laughs> okay come and find me Where wailing walls of moss rolled stone, slowly yielding to a centuryed crusade, cling with smoke of long-gone bog fires, now forever married with the drifting sea mist, lifting over impossibly green fields, clutching ancient secrets, dropped sharply off to pitching shale, where swarming gulls rise with the lagging tide, running the gusts, plunging with the lulls to swoop and pull a glistening hall under the flagging watch of a water tower, marking the ethereal line between sky and sea and spectral hills loom long past muted islands still harbouring a shipwrecked shore. Come and find me in the dying light, where a cormorant calls unanswered, shallow over his own ghost.
0: Wonderful part. And that, <laughs> the ghost, of course, is you too, isn't it? Because it's a, it's a you who's not, he's always there. Yes.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I've to put probably a slightly sadder tint on it, I've asked that my ashes be scattered in that very spot um, after I die. It's the spot where actually my mom died there. Um, but it's, it's a place of great beauty and great peace for me, and it's a place where I've accepted everything, pain and love and, and all the beauty of the world, you know, is all in that one spot. It reminds um, me a little of the Lake, um, of the lake Isle of Innisfree. Sorry. Yeah. Busy- sorry, broke up there a little bit. Sorry,
0: it reminds me a little of W. B. Yeats's "The Lake Isle of Innisfree."
1: Oh, really? Oh, funny! Actually, I just wrote a poem a few months ago, having been in that very spot, which was uh, um, after Yeats's Innisfree. Isn't that funny? Um, it was. Um, so I was standing on that spot down at the rocks. And it's just the most amazing, like, 180 degree of Atlantic Ocean with the Aran Islands and the Cliffs of Maha in the background. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was standing there and the tide was full in and I saw three salmon um, just turn, you know, so you could just see them, the fins come out of the water and back down again. Uh, and it was just amazing for me because it was sort of like, oh, they've come home too, you know. Yes. Yeah. So that inspired that Yeats poem along the lines of Inish Free. uh, Actually, that's coming out very soon um, in um, an Irish journal called Live Encounters. Um, It's going to be published in their next edition, funnily enough. Fantastic. (laughs) I look forward to seeing a link for that oh thank you
0: yes. so and on that topic and i uh, we're nearly out of time but where where can readers go to find more about you and your work and to get hold of your fabulous book
1: oh thank you um well the easiest place is my my website which is ann-kc.com a-n-n-e anne um So all all my poetry is on there. I I tend to catalogue everything by year. So there's links to all the journals it's been in and there's a link to the book. And the next book is coming um, in mid-2019. So, you know, there'll be more, (laughs) (laughs) including (laughs) the industry poem.
0: Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you so much, Anne, for taking the time to chat with me today.
1: Thank you so much, Maggie. I really appreciate it. You're absolutely wonderful, all you do. Thank you.
0: Thank you.